Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, everyone, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. I am excited about this week's show as we have got a tremendous guest coming up later on in the show. But right now, before we get started, bring on my co-host, Chris Rock and Roll Plano. Chris, what's going on? Terrific, Tony. Thank you for having me back. The weeks keep rolling on. I can't believe another Wednesday night is here for us, and uh, I'm excited about tonight's show. we got a lot in store for the fans, and I think we're going to be talking almost everything wrestling tonight and, and some great collectibles as well. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, I know if, if some of your fans out there uh, got a chance to watch the uh, uh, the WWE special that was on A&E, uh, America's uh, Most Wanted Treasures, and uh, from, from the first episode to the last episode, I saw tons of things in there that I would love to have in my office. Uh, but, uh, but man, some, some, some lucky guys out there in the world have got some stuff. But on our show tonight, we have got the luckiest man in the world because he has got the gym of all gyms. I'm talking about none other than Wes Potter. Wes, what is going on? What's going on, guys? Thank y'all for having me. I appreciate it. Man, we're, we're happy to have you on the show, Wes. Um, uh, I know uh, we we have uh, been trying to get this podcast laid down for for a few weeks. I booked you on the show s- several months ago, and uh, once we found out that um, that uh, your episode was going to air, we decided to hold off until after the episode so that we have lots of stories that we could legally tell without uh, any ramifications. Uh, and so here we are tonight. Uh, but uh, before we get into that, Wes, I, I, I probably should have said this on on online or before we went on air. But uh, but I, I wanted I wanted to get your uh, your surprise. Maybe you forgot. Maybe you remember. We'll, we'll see. But the first time that that you and I ever met, we met through eBay. Okay. Okay. This was Sounds probably right. 2012. Uh, you were selling uh, a, a set of Ben Alexander's red. Uh, tights and singlet and mask and socks, and uh, I yep. was the K and H. And what's that? K and H. K and H. Yeah, all K and H stuff. And uh, and uh, man, I snagged that right up. And uh, that 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 was like the first time you and I spoke. And uh, what was crazy was during that time I was kind of online, offline, and I had bid on that on that on that gear and won it. And Chris, I didn't know. I didn't know I even won it. I, I bid on it. And I, I at that time, uh, West. I my life was crazy. Anyway, I was going through a, a, all kind of personal crap with women. You know, I know it's probably sound like a Ric Flair story, but it's the truth. Um, but uh, so I wasn't like checking my eBay stuff, and then uh, I got the email from you. You're like, "Hey, man, you know, you won this. I'm waiting for you to pay me." I'm like, "Oh, I won it. Oh, okay, I'll pay you right now." <laughs> and I was so excited. And and I'll tell you another funny story. So I get the gear. And I had it for about two years, and George, our, our good friend George South was running this show uh, up in Winston-Salem, and he goes, Tony, he goes, uh, brother, I got this show, and, and uh, it's going to be at, like at this this uh, Hispanic place, uh, and I, I need you to come as a luchador. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I'm like, the only thing I got is that Ben Alexander gimmick, so let me take that and see what happens. <laughs> so I get there, and everybody's wearing these you know, high-spot you know, Mexican masks, except for Tony. I'm over in the corner wearing all this old-school stuff. And <laughs> lo and behold, Rocky King was on this show, and Rocky comes up to me, and he said, Hey, old-school, come here. And I walk over there, and he said, Brother, he said, 
you got the you got the best looking gear in the whole house. And uh, I said, oh, he said, that looks like K&H. I said, yeah, it is. I said, matter of fact, it used to be Ben Alexander's. He goes, how much you want for it? I said, oh, I can't sell it. I said, I said I'm going to hang on to it. So I hung on to it for a few more years, and then somebody else wanted it, and I ended up let, you know, letting it go. But now I regret it. I wish I still had it. Cause uh, man, I got I, I use that stuff you know a lot and uh, K and H stuff lasts forever. I got K and H stuff that's still here. I've had it for twenty some years. It still looks brand new. I mean that stuff lasts forever. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they're making gear as much. I know they're hard to get in touch with. Um, I've heard heard a lot of people saying that. So, um, but they're the best in the business, man. I mean you, you can't beat K and H yep. stuff. And but I but I thought that was a yep. kind of funny story, and I and I, I was curious if you remembered that, but yeah. That was, that was me. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, now, Chris. That's awesome, man. Now, Chris, so. I know you you ran a um, NDW for a long mm-hmm. time. Uh, did Did you ever had the pleasure of having Wes Potter as as one of your referees? I'm not sure. What, were you on any NDW shows? I'm. I'm. My mind is not. But <laughs> good to say not. You know. Um, uh, un- unfortunately, I'll say no. Yeah. I think that actually precedes my my time in the business. But uh, Chris, to your credit, I think the the legacy that you established uh, for that promotion and the talent that you did work with, uh, I'm well aware of what you accomplished. So I think that speaks for itself. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get to participate, but but your legacy is still uh, uh, recognized today. So that that's a credit to you. Thank so you. I that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the compliment. Yeah, uh, definitely. Man. It was, a, it was an exciting time for, you know, the six, seven years that I was, I was, I was doing, you know, NDW it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of great talent all over the East coast and the Southeast and even when some shows out West. So um, it was a time, <laughs> it was a great time. Uh, to be involved in independent wrestling and then the, the, the pro wrestling scene at that time was just on fire with, you know, the, the, the WCW, WWF wars, the, the, the NWO, there was just a lot, Steve Austin, there was a lot of going on at that time. And it was, everything was just, was this hot. And I think Tony can probably back me on that at, at that, that particular time frame. What what was so funny, Wes? There were, there was nights and 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 during this time, I mean, Chris and I we knew each other, but but we wasn't we you know we wasn't great friends like we are now. Um, but but what was so funny is like Chris would 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 be running a show with Thomasville Armory, I'd be running a show like at this bar like you know five miles down the road, and 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 our workers that we that we both were were booking, they they were working us against each other because they'd be like, hey brother, you know yes. like, I got the show, you know, can 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 you get me on first? I'm like. Well, I got you down for the main event. Well, I'm I'm main eventing for NDW. I was like, oh yeah, they're they're at the Armory in Thomasville, and I forgot about that. And we just back and forth. we we were trading talent, didn't even know it. You know, if I'd known that, Chris and I could could have probably made some money off these guys. You know, uh, charge them trans yes. or something. Yes. You know, who knows? Right, but, that's right. <laughs> but 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 it was a great time, man. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I you know uh, during the nineties. To, to be a pro wrestler, it was like the greatest time of, of anybody's life because there was so, I mean, like, like kind of like Chris said, the Monday night wars were hot and, uh, and, and the independent guys, you know, we, we, we bled off of that. Cause even though stone cold and those guys were, were like the gods, uh, the, the, the local fans would come to our shows and we were kind of like the gods too, you know? And I know Chris, Chris had a few guys that worked for him that were probably just as hot on the independent scene as Stone Cold was on, you know, on WWE. Um, 
So, uh, but it was a great time, you know, to be a wrestling fan for sure. Definitely. So now, uh, what what I want to talk about is, uh, is you know, the the podcast is you know based off a lot of Mid Atlantic stuff. And Wes, I know you have a huge collection of uh, Mid Atlantic original Mid Atlantic uh, posters. Uh, tell us how 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 you got started collecting those. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just kind of being. Uh, obviously I'm here in North Carolina, so uh, sort of having that local connection uh, was always fascinating to me. I'm kind of a history buff uh, regardless, but um, particularly North Carolina history uh, fascinates me. So when you get the wrestling tie in, um, my, I think my goal has sort of subconsciously been to piece together the Mid-Atlantic Territory with these posters and and sort of uh, make a chronological archive of um of the history of the territory and i bought my first poster uh when i was in high school uh which at this point has been um about 20 years ago and uh it was out of roanoke virginia Mm -hmm. and so uh i I, that was my first poster and then from there i kind of branched out into some of the north carolina towns so i've got kind of a map of uh, really, the Mid-Atlantic, from Virginia to North Carolina to South Carolina to Ohio, and Crockett went out there, uh, that if you were to able to sort of timeline and, and sort of thumbtack it together on a map, you would realistically be able to, to put together a, a pretty good history of the territory. Um, I think I've got about 150 now that cover um, four states, maybe five nice. states. Uh, worth of history, and there's two other guys that I know that have uh, equal of a collection of mine, so I'm, I'm trying to get the three of us together at one time in one place so that we can archive uh, the entire, what's pretty much going to cover the history of the territory from, probably from about 1974 up until the sale uh, to turn. Oh, nice. So, I mean, that's a pretty extensive, yeah, it's a pretty extensive uh, collection that I feel like we need to get together and archive while we can. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. but, uh, that, that, man, you can't beat those old boxing style posters. No, man. You know, that, uh, when, when, that's out there. It's just when incredible. I first started wrestling in 1992, uh, you know, we had those and the, and those were so popular and, and granted the, the, the posters that, that are out now that, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they have everything on there. You, you know, you, you, a lot of them, you, you you can go ahead and order your popcorn and drink and have it ready. You know, because they're, 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 you know, there's just so much information on these posters. But but back then, yeah. th- those posters were the best because it's like, it, it it just gave you okay, no pictures usually. It just had words and and and, and a, either blue or green or whatever color. But uh, but when you saw that poster, you knew right off, you know, right away. Hey, that's a wrestling poster. I'll go check this thing out and and see where this show's going to yep. be at. And um. And you know, I'm I'm so happy for you that 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 you actually have some of this stuff, and a lot of it's probably in mint condition. Uh, I, know, I know I've seen some of the pictures, and I'm like, man, that 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 is that, that's some really nice stuff. And I uh, I wish I could go back in time as a kid, and all those times that my father brought me to the Greensboro Coliseum to see uh, Mid Atlantic wrestling. I wish I had taken the posters then and, and held on to all that stuff. Um, because I mean, man, today you know, there, there's no telling what what some of that stuff would, would you know would definitely would, would be worth. Because I'm seeing like sometimes on eBay, uh, some of these Crockett uh, T-shirts are selling for like five and seven hundred bucks for a T-shirt. Um, I I think yeah. the best I've ever done was um, I came across an original 1984 
uh, I'm sorry, Starcade, an original Starcade '84 T-shirt. Uh, it was still in the wrapper. It was like it was it was mint, right? Um, I bought it for yeah. twenty five dollars uh, on eBay. You know, uh, and yep. what and how I got it was this guy was selling like a, a box of wrestling. It said box of wrestling T-shirts, and there was like six T-shirts in there, right? And they were like all bootleg shirts except for the Starcade shirt, and it was still in the original wrapper. And I'm like, man. What am I going to do with this? Of course, back then I was like, I'm selling it, <laughs> you know? And I put it on yeah. eBay and I sold it. I think I sold it for like 180 bucks. But I'm, I'm, but now I'm kicking myself in the butt because I'm sure I could probably got yeah. 800 to a, I mean, it was brand new, still wrapped up. I mean, I never, I, I didn't even unwrap it. But I put it on eBay and man, it sold boom like that. And I was like, dang it. But now I wish I, you know, I wish I'd have kept it because it was a great shirt. And, um, uh, and some of your listeners at home, um, if if you don't know what Sherman's talking about, if you go back and watch some of the uh, like uh, Mid Atlantic Wrestling from like '85 when Tully Blanchard and Dusty Rhodes were having a lot of bunkhouse matches, there, there's a lot of video yeah. of, of Tully wearing that that exact Starcade '84 shirt. So, uh, but it's out there; yeah. it's really cool. Um, now, uh, more collectible stuff that that uh, that I have seen, and I messaged you on one day. I was like, "Is that?" Uh, but you. I, I guess of all the stuff that you have, probably my, but besides the the uh, the the robe of Ric Flair, uh, probably my favorite item that that you have would probably be the Harley Race King boots, the purple boots with the gold crown, uh, that that Harley wore yeah. WWE, uh, beautiful boots and um, just just great stuff, man. Yeah, there's um real quick, there's kind of an interesting story that goes that goes with those boots, so. Um, I think this was probably around 2005. Um, I had already been refereeing for a few years, and I went to Missouri to attend Harley's. Uh, every year he would hold an annual camp where he would uh, partner with uh, Pro Wrestling Noah and WWE, and he would uh, bring in uh, talent relations uh, like Johnny Ace, I think, went one year, and uh, he would bring in some of the guys from uh, Noah to Missouri and everyone would sort of convene there um, annually for his camp and he'd have 50 or 60 people. And that particular year, uh, Kenny Omega went, because I, re I clearly remember uh, Kenny as like a young kind of upstart, mm -hmm. right? But like even then he, he was like really ahead of everybody else in the class. But um, I went to participate in the camp, obviously, but, but I sort of had an ulterior motive to uh, try to acquire some memorabilia along right. the way and I remember I still had the Starcade robe at the time and Harley had his robe that he wore that yeah. night and it was in his possession so part of my goal was to learn obviously further my education in the business but then to try to acquire his robe that he had that night and he he expressed no interest in wanting to get rid of it which I I understood and I respected um and he did not have much memorabilia at the time. He only had the robe. Um, he had uh, the robe from uh, the King uh, period at around WrestleMania three, and uh, he had the crown and a pair of boots uh, there on display at his school. And he really wasn't interested in getting rid of anything at the time, which I understood and I respected. Um, and it was maybe a couple of years after that, I maintained sort of an ongoing relationship with him and uh, BJ, if you remember his wife yeah. at the time, um, 
And about maybe two years after that, 2007, 2008, there were some floods that came through Iowa and they wiped out the wrestling museum uh, that was there at the time. And so they sort of did a rebuilding effort and um, a fundraising effort to uh, repair the damages from, from the floods. And so Harley donated his boots from WrestleMania three to this cause, this, this live auction that they were going to do. And I was actually refereeing a show in North Carolina. I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I was going down on a Saturday night and I had called BJ and talked with her. And I said, look, I'm really interested in these boots. Um, is there any way you can keep us posted? Because at this time they weren't doing anything on the internet. And this was sort of some, you know, on the phone, live telephone bid, uh, pre internet, social media craze that's going on now. And I was actually refereeing in the ring and my father had gone with me to the show. And so my dad had went with me to the training, uh, session that I did in 2005 and him and BJ had kind of connected so she remembered him and felt comfortable talking to him on the phone. And I said, well, BJ, if you're comfortable, I'm going to authorize my dad to bid for me because I may be in a match at the time. And sure enough, I was actually in the ring while the bid was going down on the boots. And BJ was on the phone with my dad, and they were going sort of back and forth. And I remember I was refereeing in the middle of the match, and I looked over at my dad, and he gave me the thumbs nice. up. And so I knew. I was like, yes, I got the boots. And so BJ made sure that that I was able to sort of coordinate with him and she got Harley to write a letter and he sent me the boots and I've had those, you know, ever since 2007, 2008, whenever that mm -hmm. was. So, uh, that's kind of something that that's special to me because of the connection with Harley and all that. Yeah. So, uh, that's just a cool backstory that goes yeah, with those I, boots. I always love those boots and, uh, um, I've, I've seen a lot of pictures of them, but now the crown is, is the crowns are, are, are they made out, made out of leather as well? Or is that like a different material? So the, the crown, um, I think, is leather, but it's uh, it's got a different sheen to it than what's actually uh, on the boots. His boots um, are, were made by, and Tony will probably have to correct me here, I think it was like B&A yeah. Boot Shop maybe out of Paris, Arkansas. Yep. Um, there's a stamp yeah, inside of the boots. It's got that maker on them, but there's a different uh, sort of texture to the crown that's mm -hmm. applied to the boots. Uh, than the boots themselves, but I mean they've definitely got the wear and and the yeah. ring use that that's got the character that I love, man. It's like when you when you touch those things, you're just you know you're 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 holding a piece yeah. of history there, and it, and, it gives and, you and, to, and you know how how, how you're like a, a collector of, of like all this wrestling memorabilia. I am I am probably one of the biggest boot marks uh, in pro wrestling history. Me and George South are always on the phone. Hey, you know. Uh, just, just, just to kind of give everybody a quick breakdown about wrestling boots in the '80s, the classic ones. Okay, so just, just, just as as uh, Wes was talking about the B bar boot, uh, years ago, like well, pre '80, I guess late '70s, uh, there was a gentleman by the name of of, uh, of uh, Bill Ash, and it was Bill Ash boots, and Bill was making boots, yep. and then I think he went in with somebody else, and then they created B bar boot. Um, they owned the shop, but they had this this Mexican guy working for him named Jose, right? Uh, Jose was making all the boots, and these guys were getting the notoriety, right? Um, so what happened? I yep. think around ninety two, I, I may be I may be completely wrong on this story because I'm going off of what somebody told me, but I believe around ninety one, ninety two, 
uh, B-Bar Boot decided they, you know, they, they wanted to be done. They wanted to get out of the boot, make, boot making business, but they weren't making them anyway. They were just, they had the name. Um, so Jose uh, decided to take over the company uh, and change the name of the company from B-Bar Boot to J&M Custom Boots. And uh, from like 91, 92, all the way up until 2000, I think 2004 uh, is when he finally closed up shop. Um, but, um, but, uh, but the coolest story or the coolest thing I can tell you about Jose, uh, in 1990, I started wrestling in 1991 training in 91 had started having my first match in 92. And back then I was right out of high school, didn't have any money. Um, and, uh, I was already starting to nature a little bit. So I had a, had a, a girlfriend that was bleeding me dry of the money I was making. So I started out wrestling Ooh. wearing, uh, instead of boots, I was wearing like the, like I was like X-Pac, you know, I had the, the, the wrestling tennis shoes with the, with the kick pads. Uh, that, that was how I started out. Yeah. So I never was able to actually afford my first pair of real wrestling boots until 1993. Um, so I wrestled two years with, with just with wrestling shoes and kick pads. But finally, '93, I got enough money to get me a, my my first pair of real wrestling boots, and I, I thought, well, man, these, these boots are custom made. It's going to take me a year to get them, you know. But I call Jose on the phone, and I'm like, hey, uh, I want a pair of boots. He goes, okay. He starts asking me all his questions. I had I knew nothing about. He's like, you know, do a, do a, you want calf leather? You yep. want patent leather? You want this? You uh, how tall you want them? Uh, I don't know. I I I don't know what. I, he goes, well, tell me, um, tell me a wrestler you like, and I can tell you if I can make the boots. And I said, Ric Flair. He goes, I don't make his boots, brother. And I'm like, oh, okay. And uh, he says, um, he says, but if you like, if you like Ric Flair, you probably like Arn Anderson. I said, yeah. He goes, well, um, I can make you some boots like Arn Anderson. Well, in my mind, I thought I was getting the Anderson boots, you know, with the with the gold, the, the maroon with the gold slices, you know. I thought I was getting those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. he says, uh, he says, I matter of yeah. fact, he goes, I just made Arn Arn a, a pair. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make you some just like his. And I'm like, okay. He goes, they're, they're just classic wrestling boots. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll take those. Right. In my mind, classic is the Anderson boots. Right. But in reality, the classic wrestling boots was the black patent leather with the white soles, with the white laces, 13 inches cut in the, or, I'm sorry, 13 inches in the back, 12 inches in the front, had the little, you know, the, 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 the diagonal cut. Um, and, and, uh, I so great. He goes, he goes, but this is what I need from you. I need you to, Stand, uh, stand on a, uh, he said, get two pieces of white paper, stand on it, trace your foot. And, um, and then on the side of that paper, I, I need you to measure, uh, the ball of your foot, your ankle and the top of your calf. You send me that and I'll, I'll and, and uh, I'll have your boots to you in a week. And I, I see him that. And, uh, I had my boots back and set in six days. That was the quickest turnaround, and, and I'll never forget. Yeah. Um, by this time, you know, I had this one girlfriend, but then I had this other girlfriend, and so uh, the other girlfriend, I'm like, "Hey, you got you got to check out these, the, you know, these boots," and she's like, "Boots? What?" So she comes to my house, and I just got these boots. So I'm wearing them around the house to break them in, and she's like, "What are you wearing on your foot? Are this go-go boots?" Like she had no idea about wrestling. <laughs> it's so funny, <laughs> but um. But anyway, so uh, so J and M made made my first pair of boots, but um, but 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 in the eighties, uh, there there were there were there were really three boot makers that were that had popular uh, boots on television, and that was of course B Bar Boot or J and M, um, 
Austin Hall Boot Company, they're the ones that made the the, the Cowboys style like like Dusty Rose and Mam TA and Barry Windham had. Um, and then you had um, yep. uh, the the gentleman that made the boots for Ric Flair, which was um, Clifford Macias out of out of Houston. Clifford um, Macias. If you yep. if you was a if you was yep. a wrestler, that those were the three places you got your boots. And it didn't matter which one of those guys made boots; they were all. I mean, they all lasted forever. Um, and uh, I I'm lucky enough, uh, and and I know West West is lucky enough because he's got a few pair of Ric Flair boots. But um, I have one pair of Clifford Macias boots. I have uh, one pair of B bar boot, and I have four pair of J and M, and I have one pair of Austin Hall. So um, I have a lot of boots, <laughs> but uh, but I love my boots. I'm a boot mark, and uh, man, and, and I love them. Oh, and and I almost forgot one other pair that was kind of popular. Not not many people had them, um, but but the gentleman that made them popular was Terry Funk, which are the the uh, the teeny llamas, but everybody calls them Terry. But 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 me and James South we, we we call them Terry Funk boots. That's what they are. Um, I have uh, that's right. two pair. I had three pair. I've sold one pair now, but I have two pair left. I said I have two pair of those. Uh, so like I said, I have a, I have a lot of wrestling boots and um, a lot of K and H stuff. And uh, uh, but, but but I mean I love it. But but getting back to to your collection, uh, the Harley Race boots uh, I love. Uh, and when whenever uh, you you had first posted a picture of Charlotte Fair Charlotte Flair. Uh, there in your uh, in your house, looking at the Ric Flair robe, in the background, me me being a a, a mark for 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 wrestling gear, I saw this vest and I, I messaged you right away. You thought I was talking about the NWA replica belt, but I was marking out over those Rock and Roll Express um, vest that 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 they wore out on uh, Mid South TV. Yes, yeah. Um... That that's kind of an interesting story there with uh, with that. I actually um, there's a lot of history behind that beyond just just Ricky. Uh, the vest that you're talking about actually belonged to Ricky Morton, and I got that vest directly from Ricky Morton. Um, gosh, yeah. probably 20 years ago. I had just gotten started in the business, and I was still actively pursuing memorabilia at the time. And I got the vest from him, and he didn't have much knowledge as far as the history of it or, or where it had been and, and when he mm-hmm. wore it, that sort of thing. And so I just bought it and sort of put it away, and it just kind of stayed uh, kind of tucked away for a long time. And then uh, a few years ago when WWE came out with the Mid-South DVD, um, I would always clamor for anything that they came out with that was old school, the world class mm-hmm. DVD, uh, the Four Horsemen stuff with the Atlantic. And then they came out with the Mid South. I heard they acquired the Mid South footage. So they produced the DVD. I bought the DVD and I'm watching it one day. And there's a tag match that's on that DVD. And I can't remember who Ricky and Robert are against. It may have been uh, Midnight or the Fantastics. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it was Midnight even. I'm not sure offhand. But anyway, they're coming to the ring, and uh, on their way to the ring, they're presented with this uh, sort of gift from a fan that had made this uh, for Ricky and Robert. And as they sort of do this live unboxing on the DVD, I pause it and I go, oh, my God, that's, that's my vest. Like, I've got that piece of history. So I run to the closet, I pull it out, I dust it off, and I look, and I got Ricky to autograph it. And I go back and I rewind and then I play and I watch. And sure enough, it's uh, 
the night that they were given that vest uh, onto the ring, and they and they wore it, you know, subsequently thereafter for for several matches, and and I don't know how long thereafter, but but you know, a decent amount of time. And I just thought, man, how cool is it to pinpoint the exact moment in time when this right. occurred? It like that. That's what I love about that kind of stuff. It just mm-hmm. brings you back to, even though I may not have been there, and I may have only been a you know two years old at the time or whatever it was, it, it takes you back to this moment in time and you're just, you're there in the moment and you've got something tangible to hold on to. So, uh, yeah, man, that's uh, super cool. But I had that piece in my hand for a while and uh, kind of like you mentioned earlier with the whole uh, Ric Flair and, and the girlfriend over here and the the girlfriend over there, um, I was kind of experiencing my own um, uh, multiple uh, rendezvous, if you will. And... Uh, Anyway, my, my wife at the time uh, ended up uh, trying to sort of seize oh, my no. collection. And so that was one of the pieces that was in her possession that I had to, uh, you know, kind of fight to get back in, in my uh, hands, which, uh, you know, luckily enough, I was able to get back and, and hold on to, and I've still got it today. But for a while there, it, it kind of left me, and oh, I didn't man. know if I was going to get it back or not. But, uh, you know, I don't know what she would want with the Ricky Morton vest. I mean – Personally, when it gets chilly outside, that's the first right, thing I yeah. go to, and I put that on. Um, I don't know that that really fits her style, but it fit me, so uh, I've still yeah, got that's, it today. That, and I'm, that, I'm that's so some glad. cool stuff. <laughs> well, uh, we're 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 uh, yeah, later man. on. We're we're going to get back into to this um, memorabilia. Of course, the the the, uh, the the main reason we're here uh, is to talk about the Starcade Road. But before we get into that. Um, uh, I, I want to talk about your. You know, you mentioned that that you that you referee. Um, uh, is like like as far as I, I know. I know collecting memorabilia. You you did a did a you 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 become a referee before you started collecting memorabilia, or were you collecting memorabilia before you got into wrestling, or how how how'd that work? Man, it's uh, it's really one in the same. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, a lot of people, I think, have have difficulty wrapping their head around the fact that um, I have I have trouble conceptualizing a sale mm-hmm. of the robe, and the reason why is because that that piece of memorabilia is so directly tied to uh, me as uh, someone being involved in the wrestling business. And what I mean by that is, uh, before I ever got involved in the wrestling business, I was always a collector at heart. Of, of sports memorabilia, trading cards. My dad gave me my first baseball card. It was a 1983 Pete Rose uh, when I was probably six or seven years old. I still have that card today. It's probably worth five cents. Um, it's all beat up, and it's it's horrible looking, but it was my first piece of, of collectible memorabilia I ever got, and that sort of uh, set the path for, for me as a collector, and so... I was probably 17 when I got Ric Flair's robe, and I was a fan of wrestling, but I was not involved in wrestling. But by by sort of acquiring that robe, uh, all of a sudden I, I began to make contacts and networking within the business that I really didn't understand at 17 years old. But that ownership sort of catapulted me into... Uh, meeting this person that led me into that person that all of a sudden put me into the wrestling business when I was 18 years old. So 
there's a lot of sentimental value there that, that probably supersedes whatever financial values out there for me because I was only a collector and then I got to be a collector and a fan that was now involved in something that I enjoy right, and respected yeah. so much. So uh, we kind of had one before yeah. the other, so uh, to speak. Now, as far as um, as uh, being a ref and everything, um, I, I know you, you know, like, like, like myself and like Chris, you know, you, you've been in this business for a long time and, and this next question is probably hard to answer. Um, but of all the matches that, that you've ever refereed, um, is there one match that will always go down as your absolute favorite? You know, uh, this, this is the moment I've lived for. Have you had that moment yet? Um, so you mean in terms of yes. me being involved in a match? In the match, being in that match, and that, that, yeah. and that match um, is the one that says, okay, no matter what happens, I can be done, and I'm, and I'm happy. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that moment actually happened for me probably about three or four years into the business. Um, and I was actually talking about uh, this match uh, with someone else earlier tonight. Uh, I was talking about the first time I ever got mm-hmm. to work with Dusty Rhodes. And I got to be in the ring with Dusty. You're in the moment. You're training on the fly. You're sort of ingrained in that, uh, just that charisma, that mystique, that psychology of everything that he's doing. I had only been in the business about three or four years at that point, And I only worked with Dusty for about 20 minutes. But I learned more mm-hmm. in that 20 minutes with him than I had like the, the entire three years combined and probably the next two two years that followed uh, just by being in there with him. Like, I mean, still today, even as, as a Flair fan, uh, it's kind of difficult to say, but, I mean, like, Dusty, I think, is probably the most charismatic I've ever been in there with. And to be able to share that moment with him for just 20 minutes was was just like, you know, sitting on the bench with Babe Ruth oh, I'm in, sure. in, the, in the Yankee Stadium. I mean, it was – Unbelievable, and I haven't found. I've worked with a lot of great talent since, and I've had a lot of great moments since. But to have that one moment that I can hold on to is is something I'll I'll cherish forever. Working I mean, with it's, Dusty, it's you know, I, so, yeah, that'd I, be my... I've heard so many people say so many great things about Dusty. Um, I never got to work with Dusty, but I did get to sit down and I talked to Dusty a few times, like back back whenever um, um, they, uh, the uh, CCW was was running like Lenore and, and places like that. I got to you know I talked to Dusty a couple of times, and um, and I, I guess the one thing that that stands out in my mind about Dusty is when you watch Dusty on TV, Dusty is like ah, you know, but when you sit and talk to Dusty, Dusty is like the most laid back, you know, funny guy that you know, and 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 he's and he's a, he's a genius, and people like. Like if, if if a lot of people that 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 didn't even get to like have a conversation with Dusty, they 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 wouldn't understand what what you and I and Chris are talking about. But Dusty was such a genius at everything. You know, he he was always thinking. Uh, he was thinking. You know, some guys think two steps ahead. Dusty was thinking like twenty. You know, at all the time. You know, no matter what, booking or a match or an angle or you know, um, man, you know. Dusty was like he, he he had like without a doubt in my mind the greatest minds of wrestling as far as putting together uh, shows and one of the reasons that that we're here today is because Dusty Rhodes came up with this idea of Starcade, um, Starcade '83, 
And, um, you know, if you're a wrestling fan in the Mid-Atlantic area, Starcade 83, in my opinion, is the that, – that was a show that put Mid-Atlantic wrestling on the map and let everybody know, hey, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're a company, you know, that's going to be around for a long time. And um, and you go back and look, uh, Starcade, Starcade 83 almost didn't happen. Uh, there, there was a major snowstorm that night, uh, and uh, you know Harley was like, you know, on, you know, on on the on the on the um, the verge of, you know, maybe maybe not not going to Starcade and and putting Flair over. Uh, but then at, the, at you know Harley is a man, you know he's a man's man, and 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 he knew what was right for business, and and he was sick too. If I remember, I think I think Harley had a fever that night, uh, and what and was still and was sick, but he showed up yep. and he gave us Starcade '83 and Dusty's Dusty's mind and Harley and Ric Flair's you know you know um, heat that they had, uh, it, it gave us Starcade '83 and Starcade '83 has some tremendous matches on it. Uh, you know, from from opening bell to the main event, uh, you go back in time. I mean, I mean, the the who's who's of Mid Atlantic wrestling were either starting out or on that car. I mean, you had Greg Valentine, Roddy Piper, and they they become some of the biggest stars yep. in this business. Uh, although it was New York where they become big stars, but they were still stars here. You know, here in the Carolinas. Yeah, yeah, Dusty recognized that before before anybody. I mean, I think, um, with, with my experience with him, I mean, it's, it's kind of like you're talking about, I think he, um, he was so, I think he was, it's kind of one of those, um, sort of, uh, starving artist type situations where he was so far ahead of his time that he's, he's extremely relevant today, but in 1985, he's so far ahead. We, we can enjoy it, but we can't fully process what he's doing. Today we can fully process, you know, what he, what he's doing. I've got a um, the match that I was speaking of earlier. I've got a bandana that he wore in that match. He he gave me uh, after the match, uh, and I've got it framed up at my house. And I told somebody, I said I would get rid of the Starcade robe before I got rid of the bandana that mm-hmm. that Dusty Rhodes gave me personally from that match. Like that's that's how much it means to to know that. I was able to share that moment with him. I mean, yeah. just unbelievable. And that's that's coming right. from, a, yeah. from a Ric Flair mark to say that about the road. So part of that hurts my heart, mm-hmm. but but the other yeah. part warms I mean, it. Was so, I mean, he was he was, he was, he was amazing, Ma- amazing guy. Yeah. Uh, and we were all blessed to uh, for Dusty, uh, you know, being here yes. and and, and, and yes. putting uh, so many butts fifteen inches apart <laughs> with 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 the great Ric Flair. Um, now, yes. uh, get, now I, w- I want to get yeah. more into this, um, star kid, a three robe. Um, as, okay. So, so you, you, you already talked about that, 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 the, that the, uh, star kid robe was, was probably the, the, the first memorabilia that, that you acquired. Um, and, and, um, so yeah. with, with this, with this robe, uh, you've, uh, you've, you've got to already, uh, have, have some great experiences, Kind of like you said, of meeting people and getting more involved in the wrestling business. But uh, a few years ago, you got to take the robe to, to WrestleMania, all access. Uh, tell tell us about that experience and, and and how and how exciting it was. I know I was popping when I saw the the Starcade robe next to Harley Race's robe. I'm like, you know, I mean, how how amazing. 
your 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 picture was amazing, but I can imagine being there live and seeing that in person. I mean, I mean, it, 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 it had to give you goosebumps. Man, it did because, like I mentioned, you know, going back to 2007, 2008, I went to Harley Race's camp to further my education in the business, but I also wanted to sort of unite uh, mm-hmm. the robe that I knew he had and the robe that I knew I had. I sort of wanted to, to align those two back together and connect those two, and I wasn't able to do it. And then we fast forward, you know, eight years later, uh, WWE had acquired his robe, and so they had reached out to me to, to be able to bring my robe to uh, the Access event where they did one of the big uh, statues where they honored Ric Flair. And the the piece for me was not necessarily going to WrestleMania because I'd already been to some WrestleManias and I kind of had that, that experience. But I just thought, how special is it going to be to have uh, the NWA belt, which is in the possession of Triple H, the robe that belonged to Harley Race, which is in the possession of WWE Archives, and then my robe reunited in a display honoring Ric Flair. Like, for me, that was going to be the coolest thing to see those three things get together yes. in one exhibit at one time. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm game. I'm there, right? And to have the chance to go and experience uh, the different conversations I had that weekend – and, and the matches and the event itself was really, really cool. But to be able to play just a small part in having those three come together was just so special. Um, I remember my wife at the time went with me, and they had a little plaque, you know, on the on the robe that said, you know, it's on loan from, from myself and my wife at the time uh, on display. And people were coming by, and they were taking pictures of it. And then they made the connection that, that I was the person that had the robe, and then they're asking to take pictures with me, which was terribly awkward because I thought, I was like, you don't want, you know, I'm not worthy to be a part of this. I'm just sort of a, a temporary guardian that's here to present it. But to have people, like, recognize that thing, I'm just so, like, still overwhelmed today to know that, like, those three items got together at that moment in time. It was, like, just so so cool to be able yeah. to have that, um, that experience. Now, uh, as far as the, as a Starcade robe, um, I, I know on, on, on the, on the, uh, uh, America's most wanted treasures. Um, they, 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 they highlighted several of Ric Flair's robes and each one of them had, you know, had a name. Um, other than the Starcade 83 robe was, was, was there any other name that, 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 that Flair or the original, um, as far as the the the, the, the Starcade robe, or is it just known as a Starcade robe? See, I mean, I think like I've I've kind of I kind of coined the phrase years ago on a web on my website as the Starcade robe. Even though uh, if you go back and document history, he actually won his first, his second, and his third world title wearing that same robe. So the other thirteen titles that are recognized, he had a different robe. For every single occurrence, mm-hmm. except for the very first three, he was wearing this robe for all three of those very first three. So, of the of that recognition, you know, I think the first one was Dusty in Kansas City, maybe in '81, and then I think somewhere along the line in '82, maybe was um was it Briscoe or Harley? 
uh, Tony, you maybe have to correct me there, but it, they were sort of lesser known recognitions than that 83 Starcade. That was like the first pay-per-view. They were going head-to-head with WWE, and that was the one that really, uh, you know, kind of put it on the map as opposed to what was portrayed in the, the Most Wanted Treasures. I mean, we had a, a mini Funko Pop uh, made of that robe. One of the WWE Classic figures was made of that robe. Uh, not to mention all the highlights that are played of that robe. So that's definitely the most visible of all of his robes. But I like to think that visibility was sort of all yeah. launched now, from now the, do, the Stark uh, 83. Have, 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 you, have you figured out or found out or heard what the original cost was of that of that robe when, when Flair had it made? You know, um, I would have to go back and look at my record, so I don't want to misquote while we're talking right now. But right after I got it, I was uh-huh. probably, I think, 17 at the time. Um, when I got the robe, it was in mm-hmm. distress condition, and I was concerned about that. But, I mean, right, even yeah. at that time, it was 25 years old. So, I mean, that's to be expected. Um, I actually reached out to Olivia Walker, mm-hmm. the lady who made the robe, and I talked to her on the phone with the intentions of I was going to send the robe back to her to be repaired, and we were going to sort of – uh, uh, cost adjust for, um, you know, inflation from whatever it cost mm-hmm. in 1979 for her to make it versus 2002 or whenever it was. Um, so there was a big difference there, but I remember her telling me that the cost per rhinestone, she used only Austrian rhinestones, which were made by, uh, uh, forgive me, I may be mispronouncing, Swarovski, Swarovski, they make the uh, crystal uh-huh. figurines that you see in like high-end jewelry stores. Um, they made all the rhinestones. She would only use those because she said when the when the spotlights would capture those rhinestones, they would reflect in multiple angles. So uh, they cost about $2 per piece in 1979 when she was making those. So if we adjust for inflation today, whatever $2 was in 1979 – uh, versus, you know, 2021, uh, it's going to be exponentially greater. But I know she said he had paid up upwards of $10,000 mm-hmm. per robe at the time to have it produced. So it would be yeah, obviously wow. exponentially that, that, more costly yeah, today. I, I, I was thinking that that, yeah. that robe was probably in the ten to $15,000 range, especially especially with, with the big cape that, that you know, that, that, that that's attached to it. Um, and then, of course, now – now under under the cape on the inside, um, is is that sequin material or, or is that rhinestones as well? So I don't I don't think uh, someone had pointed this out to me probably in the last couple of weeks and I hadn't really thought about this. I'm not sure that Ric Flair ever had another robe uh-huh. that was made that zipped up. This one specifically okay. zips up like a vest on the front. And to my knowledge, I can't think of another one he had made that way. But this was a conversation that I had with Ashley, mm-hmm. um, Charlotte, when she came to the house about the liner that was on the inside of the robe. This just goes to show you the craftsmanship and the attention to detail that this lady had when she was making these works of For art. Sure. Because what she produced was a work of art. Um, inside of the liner of the robe, it's a um, almost mm-hmm. a silk fabric but the fabric is oh, wow. interlaced with peacocks on the inside of the robe. So, I mean, it's just like so incredibly detailed. When Ashley saw that, she was just blown away that 
not only is the external piece so aesthetically pleasing, but the internal piece has such attention to detail that, you know, if you put this thing on, man, you're like, you know, you're wearing the, the mat, you're on the magic carpet ride, right? Like right. you can, you can be the world champion when you wear wow. this thing. It's, it's that, it's that impactful. So yeah, it's got some kind of like silk, uh, inlay well, that's that, yeah, a, that's amazing. peacock I mean, fabric you know, on the every, inside. Every time I see that rule, I'm like, man, that, yeah. that thing is amazing. Now, um, one thing that I, um, found this out uh, on Facebook the other day and, and Wes, you, 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 you may already know Chris, uh, you, you, as same as you, you, you may know as well, but, um, for years, I thought that Olivia Walker made all of Ric Flair's robes. You know, he, 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 he came on TV and he always said that, that she made all his robes. But I found out that Wahoo McDaniel's wife actually made three or four of Ric Flair's robes. Um, the, uh, the, the, I know on, on America's Most Wanted Treasures, they, they talk about the infamous butterfly robe, right? But in 1985, Ric Flair had another butterfly robe that was white and had like these angelic, I say angelic, looking uh, sleeves on them. And she posted on her Facebook page that, you know, she says, yeah, they're, they're talking about Olivia Walker making all of Ric Flair's robes. I guess he forgot that I made these. And she posted pictures of these three robes that, that, that she made. And if you go back and look at the, at the robes, you can tell for sure. I mean, I can. I'm, I'm, I'm a gear mark, but you can tell that, that those robes that she's talking about, uh, they're nice. I give them that they are nice, but they are, they, they don't have all, I mean, they, they have sequins on them, you know, rhinestones on them, but they're not like the ones like, like you talked about. Um, so you definitely can tell that for a fact that, um, and, and it's almost like those robes are, were made out of uh, like, like, like most robes. I think that Olivia may flare, were made out of out of velvet, a velvet type material. Uh, these were almost like a, um, not a canvas, but more like um, um, nylon type type stuff, you know. Uh, but uh, but still beautiful robes and uh, everything like that. But the the on the back of, of that the robe I'm talking about in particular, the word Nature Boy. If you look real close, it, you can tell it looks like it was hand painted on. Um, and also, she also made made the robe for yeah. Tully Blanchard. Tully Blanchard's famous robe, not not Olivia. I'm talking about uh, Wahoo's wife. Um, but um, but you know, she made she made she made some nice robes too. But uh, Olivia's stuff always stood out. Like like you know, you look on TV uh, and you knew, okay, like that's that's Ric Flair's robe, so I know who made that. And then you you turn over to WWE and you see. Uh, you know, I don't know the um, the uh, the killer bees come out in their fancy jackets, uh, with the with the rhinestones, and you're like, that looks like Ric Flair's robe, but cut off, you know. So so you knew yeah. that you know she made those as well, and of course Terry Taylor, yeah. you know those, those beautiful jackets he wore in the uh, the um, red the uh, red yep. rooster jacket, uh, and and my 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 good friend Tommy Booth, I'm still <laughs> yep. I still got heat with him on this one, but um, uh, but he had the red rooster jacket. Uh, that that she sent back. Yeah, he did. Uh, or I'm sorry, he sent back to to Olivia, and she took the rooster gimmick off and put terrific across the back, because Terry Taylor and I, I I I didn't even know this and forgot about this, but Terry Taylor had went just just a little short period of time in WWF. Uh, he came back as terrific Terry Taylor, um, and then after that he went back to WCW and becoming the York Foundation. Never wore that jacket again. Um, 
and then Tommy uh, Tommy acquired it, and I told him all the time, like, Tommy, brother, if you ever get rid of that jacket, it's got terrific on the back. You gotta let me have it. Yeah, I will, I will. But of course, you know, he didn't. But that's yep. okay. I still love him anyway. Um, but uh, but 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 that stuff. I mean, the 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 Olivia stuff. It just, I mean, <laughs> like you said, it was works of art. Um, and 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 of course, it, you know, when with with Flair owning those robes. Uh, it just added more value to 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 what to what to what was what was already very valuable. Um, now, if if we're looking at the Starcade robe versus the butterfly robe, okay, um, I know they the the butterfly robe was like the the one that everybody was wanting to get, right? But if you to me as a fan, and I'm and I'm not saying it's because you're on my show, it's just how I feel. Um, the butterfly robe was special. It was beautiful. It was a gorgeous robe. It was part of a lot of stuff, but I still feel like, you know, when, when, whenever they were on there talking about the value of these robes and they, they put the value on the butterfly robe and they put the value on your robe, I think they had those, those numbers transposed because my opinion, I think your robe should be worth a whole lot more than the butterfly robe because your robe is pretty much what put flair on the map as world champion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember the, uh, you know, what, what's the old saying that, uh, it's not necessarily those that, that make the history, but those that write the history that matter. And, uh, it's, it's the narrative that's important here, but I think to the, to the true fan that understands, uh, the history and the connection with the culture, uh, to talk about the first three world title wins, um, I will put the Starcade robe any day against the butterfly robe, and we can talk about Starcade '83 versus the Royal Rumble '92. And God bless everybody that was in the Royal Rumble '92. But you know, Greensboro, North Carolina is going to put them put them down uh, for the count, and yeah. you know, kiss them on the forehead and tuck them in at night. So the 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 Starcade robe is associated with more of those sort of interwoven. Uh, maybe discrete cultural moments than the, the nationally advertised uh, black and silver butterfly robe. But yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you that, you know, that, that Starcade robe for me, uh, I just had the chance to actually rewatch the most wanted treasures tonight for the first time since it aired. And for them to sit there and keep mentioning Greensboro, North Carolina, Ric Flair, and then to have my name even, mentioned in that same breath or that same story yeah for me is worth more than anything you know they they yeah, could well, ever, I know um, you know, talk about sense, but, you know because, because we're friends and we talk about this stuff you know, we, we, you know on Facebook a lot um but I, I remember Chris I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on, on mine and West as a conversation um whenever this uh, America's most wanted treasure started coming on I started watching the first couple episodes and I'm seeing that they're, you know, they're they're, right. they're 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 not going to these people's houses to look at this stuff. They're going to buy it, right? And I'm like, so I, I messaged Wes. I said, "Listen, I know you're probably under a contract, but please tell me that you didn't sell that robe." I, I matter of fact, never mind. I'm sorry I said that. I know you didn't sell this robe. And then, of course, he's 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 not smart me up. He's like <laughs> he's kayfaving me, right? He's like, well, all I can tell you is that that is the 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 the, the, uh, the uh, robe is is going to be well taken care of and it, mm-hmm. and and it's where it belongs. I said, yeah, it's still at your house. I know, 
Because <laughs> I knew I knew Wes wasn't going. I knew he wasn't going to sell that row. I mean, that, that, if, for me, who I've, I've never you know I've, I've never got to see this robe in person. Um, but but for me and Wes being you know being on my Facebook and he and I talking you know about wrestling and stuff a lot and of course me me buying the Ben Alexander gimmick from him. Um, it, it's almost like you know I, I feel an attachment to that robe like like him because I I feel like. If if West don't have that robe, man, something's wrong. <laughs> you know, it, it, so the 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 Saturn's off off his axis or whatever. But um, but but I was glad to see that you know you you still own the robe, but you, you you've definitely lended it out to WWE so so that they can you know preserve it and and show it to you know to, you know put on display and and let some of the people see it. Um, and of course, it's same with the uh, with the Royal Rumble boots that that you have now. Uh, those those aren't aren't the only boots you have of Ric Flair's, correct? I mean, you, you you've got several other pair, right? Yeah, so I I actually um, it's a really really interesting story there, and I'll I'll condense it for time purposes. But at one time I had three pairs of his boots. Um, right now I have two pairs, but uh, the two pairs that I have, if if you're able to go back and watch the tape, um you'll find that the Royal Rumble boots that you're talking about and the boots that he mm-hmm. wore in the match uh, at the Chi-Town Rumble with Steamboat yes. are very, one's very got a red similar tope, one's if you got compare a black those tope, right? two boots. If yes. you look at them, yes, mm-hmm. if you look at them at a glance, you're not going to notice the difference. So when I acquired those boots, um, I was told, hey, you've got two uh, left feet or two right feet, whichever it was, and they're two different boots because one boot had a black toe and one boot had a right toe um, or, or a red toe and one had a black toe, but they were both for the right foot or the left foot, whichever it was, but they weren't a pair. And so I thought that was incredibly odd, and I went for 10 years thinking that we would never find the mate to the boot. And after uh, about 10 years, I entered into a conversation with someone. And as we started talking about our various memorabilia, I found out that they actually had the mate to the two boots that I owned. And so I immediately began a pursuit to acquire uh, the two boots, which I I was able to do. And then I was able to match up the Royal Rumble boots and the Chi-Town Rumble boots. So those are the two pairs that I have. Yeah, so I mean, you know, if you talk about the greatest matches of all time, that series from '89's got to be up there, and then significant moments has to be. Yeah. The, now, Chris, uh, have, uh, have a, you had a chance too, to uh, to yeah. to uh, so watch I did. this? Yes, uh, I, I did. Um, it was uh, very uh, intriguing. Most treasures and, with the uh, Flair even Rose. bringing Charles Robinson into the fold and yeah. and, and the items that he had. Um, it was it was really really interesting, and I I kind of caught my attention week after week that they're on this. Uh, this 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 treasure hunt really across the country or around the world looking for memorabilia that you know it's amazing how much is maybe like you know slipped through the cracks based on who the wrestler is and things happening in their career or you know whether they sold it or they just lost it or they just don't know where it is or or got stolen for some of them um, you know literally and uh, so it's really interesting stuff and. Makes for good human interest. 
Now, now, one one thing I want to bring to to, to both of yours, uh, both both of you guys, and, and get your take on this. Okay, okay. Me as a wrestler. Okay, I've I've wrestled tons of matches all over North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, whatever. And I remember I was on a show one time, and I was packing my my gear, and after my match, I, and I took my gear off, threw it on, on the floor, right, and I start packing my stuff up, and I'm talking to to other wrestlers, tell them thank you, I'll see you next show, whatever. I get home. And I realized I had left a pair of my K&H trunks. I don't know if somebody lifted them. I left them in the floor, whatever, right? But they were gone. And my heart ached for weeks. Like, I was mad at myself. Just like, I can't believe I just... But in reality, those trunks cost 50 bucks, right? How, like, I, I can't fathom the, the thought of being Ric Flair, right? Losing a fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollar butterfly robe at a hotel, and just be like, "Yeah, I lost it. Yeah, it's it's gone. Uh, I don't know where it is." And for twenty five years, for twenty five years, I'd be like, "I'd I'd call the hotel back. Surely, surely, where's his robe?" But Flair, maybe at the time he was just like, or maybe he was Nation and he thought, you know, she took it. And I'm have to let it go, you know. It's how it is. I'm married. I can't let my wife know. But, uh, <laughs> but what 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 are you guys' thoughts on it? Like like put yourself like right now in Ric Flair's shoes. You you wake up in the morning. You get to the airport, or you wake up at your house, and you realize my twenty five thousand dollar butterfly robe that's beautiful uh, and has been in all these significant matches is gone. I, I don't know what I would like, think. Like, I think I'd be a wreck <laughs> personally. But I don't know. I think back then, I think you. Maybe... Flair was just so busy, so much going on. He just probably had so much stuff. I mean, equipment-wise, it was just, you know, and, and yeah. right. I mean, well, he he, right. he probably, probably said, probably, oh, probably so. I got thirty I mean, more you know, in the like, closet. Like golfers, how many sets deal, of gloves you know? do they have, or you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or you know, baseball yeah. players yeah. with gloves and bats? It's just you know, I got so many right. of them. Yeah, I'll just go pick another one out, and <laughs> no one will even know. That's right. Yeah. Now, uh, now, uh, this the, the, my, my next part. I, I don't want to get no heat with anybody, but I, I'm just curious of, of what you guys thinking. Okay. So you both watched the episode. Uh, Wes, you were in the episode. Uh, so the hunt for the butterfly robe. Okay. It's like the carrots right here. Here it is. Here's the robe. It's, it, we come to this hotel. I got this beautiful robe. Uh, this is it. Uh, you know, we uh, want X amount of dollars for it. You know, okay, no, actually, we don't want to sell it, but we want to trade it. We want a, a a a robe and a pair of boots. Okay, they come back after breaking. You know, Charles Robinson's heart and Wes. I, I know you know Charles really well. Um, I, I've seen pictures of you and Charles and Charles's house. Y'all both traded robes and and everything. It was a great great moment. Um, but. Uh, my my heart went out to 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 Charles when whenever I saw he, you know the 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 I mean that was the realness I you know, I could see uh, of how he felt about that robe, uh, but I think that he ended up with with a much better robe, uh, but I, I I I I hated the the way that 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 it went down like that you know. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> you kind of you give me a little uh, <laughs> you give me a little misty eyed here. Um, 
you know, I, I think kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, um, you know, to to have one of these or, or really any piece of the memorabilia that they featured is really a sort of a, a time capsule that transports you back to uh, a certain era um, in your life or, or some sort of meaningful moment uh, wherever you're at in your adolescence or young adulthood or whatever it might be, um, you know, uh, so I think that the time period matters for the individual. Um, and, you know, for, for Charles, I think the green robe is, is more in alignment for, for his age and his, his time frame of remembering Rick for, for his, uh, you know, uh, productivity and, and when he was on top as a champion and the gold robe came a little after um, the gold robe was definitely a unique piece because believe it or not I actually used to have that gold robe it actually used to belong to me uh, probably 10 years ago 10 or 12 years ago um, before it circulated back to Rick and then to WWE and now to Charles but that's the only robe that he had that actually yep. velcroed in the front we talked about the zip up earlier. That's the only piece that actually velcroed in the front uh, with the belt. So, I mean, it's definitely a unique robe. I think it just comes down to a matter of, uh, you know, what best aligns for that collector during their time period. And the, the Starcade robe is before my time. Yeah. But again, the visibility piece is something that I remember. So I, I think it just, it, it equates to that really at the end of the day. But, um, you know, man, God bless him for, for doing what he did for the show to be able to to pull it off and, and get the, you know, yeah. get the and, whale. And, and for, I remember uh, watching that. Uh, I mean, WWE. It, 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 it hurt it hurt my heart so bad to see that. But, to, to I mean, to see Ric Flair, like, walk out of Charles's room and go out to the living room while, while you know, yeah. AJ is in there trying to, uh, to uh, you know, finagle. Yeah, because yeah. he knew what it and, meant. And, you know, he knew the importance. Flair of it. knowing yeah, how much love and respect man, that Charles tough. had for him or has for him, um, you know, Flair just couldn't stay in there and see his friend yes. you know, break down and cry. Uh, I mean, I got emotional because I mean, I, I was. I mean, uh, I've, I've no. met Charles a few times, and uh, and and he's just a super nice guy. And uh, man, I was like, you know. That just ain't right, and and I even uh, listened to Jim Cornette's podcast a few weeks, a couple of days ago, and even he was on there going, "That ain't right, man. That uh, Charles didn't yeah. deserve that." <laughs> and uh, but you know, Charles is is a, is a I mean, he's definitely yeah. a lifetime employee with the WB. I, I I believe that you know, one of the things that that stands out in my mind the most about Charles Robinson. Is I have been to I, I guess Charles has been working for the WWE now 20, probably going on over twenty some years right, um, and I have been to several uh, live WWE yep. shows, yep. and when you look out there at the ring crew, Charles Robinson is a referee, but he's also the head of the. I mean, he is out there making sure the ring is is as tight, is clean, is ready to go, it's show ready. Um, uh, when they have a cage match, man, he's out there putting the cage. I mean, Charles, it, 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 you know, there there is 
Okay, when 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 you look at pro wrestling, everybody talks about Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler of all time, and and he needs his own wing in the WWE in the Hall of Fame. Well, Charles Robinson, I think he needs his own referee Hall of Fame because a lot of people don't realize just how hard that man works and behind the scenes, and of course putting matches together and and his passion uh, for the business. And uh, you know, and I and I get so frustrated when I go to these independent shows, and you know, you got these superstars that uh, won't, won't even go over and, and fold up a chair. And here is you know Charles Robinson, the referee, is out there putting the ring together. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and I'll I'll go on. I've said this before publicly, and I'll say it again. You know, I'll go on record here as saying that. When, when people talk about that conversation of, you know, the greatest referee of all time and, and we talk about these, these figures in the business, I always say that the way that I phrase it is Tommy Young mm-hmm. is the most important referee of all time. All right. Tommy Young is the most important referee of all time because he essentially defined the role as we know it today. But the best referee of all time is Charles Robinson because he has been able to transcend and blend the the old school era that we're talking about today and he is relevant in the modern mm-hmm. era when we watch the high flyers and uh, you know the, these guys that perform all these sort of acrobatics he fits in in both eras and he's able to sort of be the glue that combines both of those so Tommy Young definitely the most Important referee of all time, but the best referee of all time is able to transcend all errors. Is yeah, Charles I agree, hundred percent, hands down. Uh, well, now as as we get a little else. closer to winding this podcast down, I'm, I'm uh, one one more quick poll between you two, Chris. Oh, I'll start with you. Top three favorite, uh, uh, favorite you know, Ric Flair robes of I, all time. You know, I I guess because I like the I I always loved the blue robe that he that he wore. I mean, I I loved it. I mean, uh, and <laughs> yes. Yes, and then, uh, and then the, oh, yeah. the, the purple the, one I've the, always uh, loved one as from well Stark that he wore. I just felt it, it yes. fit his character yes. and his persona on the you know on on television, and uh, yeah, I I, I I real quick, you're talking about the purple rope. Uh, I never realized how big those sleeves were until Flair would would flip them out and, and I saw I was in Charlotte one night for a uh, nitro and uh and he done that and I'm like <laughs> man I never I, I knew I knew the, I knew the the sleeves were long but I didn't know they yeah, were that I long would, man I, I would just say I'm amazing, more of a, amazing a color guy of, more than anything else a robe, a, a for sure a certain name I would say um you know either either the, the red one or the white one you know they even come out with was my but definitely for me it was the it was the the blue one I I thought Fit him yeah. Mm-hmm. Wes, what about you? Your your top three favorites? <laughs> so right, I sure. guess I should be biased with the Starcade Road, right? That should be number one. But I'm going to be honest with you. My favorite robe of all time that he ever had was the purple robe that had the 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 purple satin on the the sleeves 
on both sides and it had the silver. Mm. Like there's something about that robe to me that was just so regal and it was so sophisticated that like I would put that at number one. That purple robe that he had, and I think that robe's in the possession of Conrad now. Um, that's my favorite robe of all time. There's just something about it. Um, that one's number one. I would put my Starcade at number two. And honestly, probably for number three, I would probably put the um, the butterfly robe from the uh, the Royal Rumble debut and, and all the hoopla from the show uh, with the white. You know, she, Olivia Walker does such a great job with her contrast with silvers and purples and silvers and pinks and silvers and purples uh, and pinks and blue and silvers. And she just had such a great eye. I mean, like she, there's an interview that she did with the Atlanta Journal Constitution in like 84 or 85. And she was talking about how she wanted to do some work for Liberace and some of the kind of country Western singers. There is no doubt in my mind that she oh, could have sure. done the work for those uh, entertainers and succeeded because I've got, I actually have some outfits from a, country, a couple of country music entertainers and I've compared their outfits and their work with their seamstresses to her work. And man, it's like wow. comparing, you know, Major League Baseball and Single A Baseball. There's no comparison. Mm -hmm. She could have totally done the work and exceeded yeah, you know, expectations. Uh, one of the things so that, 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 that would be my early in the podcast, you, you're, yeah. you're talking about yeah. how when she made the robes, she she used uh, you know the, the 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 best rhinestones out there. Um, case in point, I remember uh, 1995. I am on the second row in the Independence Arena. Main event is Randy Macho Man Savage against Ric Flair, and Rick wears the butterfly rope out. Now, this isn't a TV show. This is a house show. So, you know, they don't have a lot of light there. They just have the light over the ring. But, man, when Flair went to get in that ring and the lights hit that, uh, it was like a rainbow just blew up in the whole, the whole, the whole building. Um, and, and, and it blew my mind. I was like, man. Yes. You know, it almost makes you think when you look at it, like, is that diamonds on there? Because it, it shines so, so vivid. Man. Yes. It's like, it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it makes me think about this quote that, um, Joe DiMaggio had from the New York Yankees. You know, somebody asked him late in his career, like 1949, 1950, Mickey Mantle's getting ready to come in and take over. And they said, you know, your career's at an end. Why are you still playing so hard every single game? Right. And he mm -hmm. always said, because somebody could be seeing me for the first time. And I, I always think about that with Ric Flair because I'm like, even though it's in house show at Independence Arena on a Wednesday night and it's in front of 5,000 people and it's not SummerSlam in Dallas, Texas in front of 60,000, you're giving your mm -hmm. best effort. And when you walk out there, you're doing the very best you can because it may be the first time somebody sees you. And somebody like myself, I didn't become a wrestling fan until right. later. So I didn't get to see Flair in 83, and I didn't get wow. to see him in 87. I never saw him until 97, mm -hmm. right, when he's he's on the downswing of his career. But the Flair I saw in 97 was as sharp and as determined and right. as dialed in as the Flair that would have been there in 83 at Starcade. Mm -hmm. so, so that makes me want to strive for the very best, right? So when you saw that at Independence Arena, yeah. 
that makes you go, yeah. man, it just blows and, your and mind. That you want to be the best at uh, whatever you do. I, I'm still right? learning the craft of wrestling. I was, you know, I wasn't in it full time. I'm still uh, learning, but I learned early on, yes. and and and, but I didn't know I was doing it right. I'm just doing this because it felt right, but I didn't realize I was doing it because it's supposed to be the, this way. It's supposed to be done. But I remember uh, being on some shows with Jimmy Valiant, and and Boogie <laughs> would tell me he's like Tony, listen, brother, okay. He's like, I'm watching, I'm watching you. He goes, I, I tell Bruiser Grimm this all the time, you know. He said that he goes, I I, I go to the show with 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 well, he, he always called me Terrific Tony with 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 with, with Terrific. He, he said I go I, I go to these shows with Terrific and I see all all the guys he's got working for him, and they take a bump, and when they bump, it's like boom, but but they weigh three hundred pounds. He said, then Tony takes a bump, and it's like the billing's coming down, you know? And it's because the way I was bumping, I would bump on my back, and then I would drop one arm and one leg and then another arm and then another leg. So instead of just getting the one sound, I'm getting, right? And it portrays like, I'm man, he's he's getting knocked down really hard. I mean, his every limb on his body is taking a bump, right? But I, I didn't realize I was doing that to get more sound, but 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 that was that was something that I was learning on. So so going back to to my, to my case in point, going to that house show there in in Charlotte and seeing Ric Flair and Randy Savage, uh, that night is when I really like I, I had a lesson taught to me was because during that time, uh, Savage was the baby face on TV, and Flair was the was the heel, um, but there in Charlotte on a house show. Flair was the baby face, Savage was the heel, and um and man, they the the Charlotte Coliseum was on fire when Flair came out, whether he was a heel on TV or not, he was a baby face that night and and they even switched up the finish. Uh Savage takes out the brass knucks and goes to hit Flair. Flair steals him from him, knocks him out, gets the one, two, three, um, and goes and goes over in his hometown. Um but uh, but I learned something that night is it doesn't matter if you're a baby or a heel, when you're in your hometown, uh, sometimes things gets changed. And even though there was only four or five thousand people there as opposed to fifteen, Flair and Savage still put on a, a match that you would have saw at WrestleMania or Starcade, you know. And and just like you said, you know, you 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 you're always going to be. That's right. A, um, you, it, 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 it doesn't matter how many people's in the crowd you're going to put everything you have in there. So, well, um, one last thing, Wes, and I'll let you get out of here and we'll, we'll take Absolutely. this podcast home. Yes. Um, as far as WWE collecting all this memorabilia, what are your thoughts? Like, like how long do you think it's going to be? But before we have like a, uh, an actual hall of fame museum that we can pay money to go in and look at all this beautiful memorabilia. You know, that's, um, I think that's an interesting question because I, I believe from, from my observations, I think that, uh, you know, somebody like Triple H mm -hmm. understands the business and appreciates the history of it. And, and I don't know that someone um, currently in, in our present state, like a Vince McMahon, understands the preservation aspect of it uh you know from a business standpoint so i right. think somebody like a triple h is probably driving that process 
and I think that's a really good thing. Um, the the financial proposition of having a physical museum and a sort of brick and mortar house for this stuff is financially challenging because generally museums and things of that nature don't make money okay they're they're financially not successful because they're kind of a one and done deal right if i if i fly in to check out the museum i'm probably never going to come back because there's nothing else to offer so unless um the museum is able to or, or wwe is able to come up with some sort of interactive perpetual opportunity for for fans to come back that keeps them coming back i don't know that i foresee a a brick and mortar museum now if there's some sort of interactive fan event like an access that exists uh, quarterly or biannually at a brick and mortar place i think it could be possible then but you know, from a from a fiscal standpoint, it's got to make sense, right? Yeah, to, to have people come and then have people come back. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, guys, so thank y'all for, uh, for coming on the show tonight and talking about some of this great uh, memorabilia, but more in like, but but more importantly, great wrestling memories uh, of of um, you know that 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 tie our podcast mm -hmm. in with a lot of our fans. Um, and, uh, man, it just, it was just a great show. Uh, Wes, thank you so much for your time and coming on here and, and thank you for, uh, for, for sharing your, uh, Ric Flair robe with, with everybody. Um, one, one thing I want to ask before we get off the air, uh, you, 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 you would mention that you used to have the gold robe. So how many, I, I think I know in my mind, but I want to ask you how many Ric Flair robes have you owned in your, in your, in your, in your years of collecting? So, uh, before, um, before Conrad was able to, uh, make his statement on the show that he has bought and sold more than anybody alive, uh, that person was me, uh, before him, because at, at one time I, I had what I considered to be the, the largest, um, private collection in the world, which was three uh -huh. at that time, which was held outside of, uh, Ric Flair, obviously. Um, I had his pink robe that was eventually used for the uh, 2K19 video game. They provided with the uh, Funko, Plop, uh, Funko Pop figure in the uh, video game uh, that was kind of added as a collector's uh, edition. I had the pink robe, uh, the gold robe that I mentioned that uh, belongs yep, to Charles well, now. I, 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 knew, course, I knew the, the blue pink robe, robe that I still have. Because uh, I remember... So. Uh, our good friend Tommy Booth sent me a picture. He was at WrestleCade, and I think you had that robe at WrestleCade. And and he's he sent me a picture. And I'm like, I hate you right now. Yes. I hate you. He goes, yeah, dude, you should have came to WrestleCade. I'm like, yeah, I had to work, but yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wasn't gonna let that, him wear it, but he like literally had a pistol and he, he held up to me and something. You know, what are you gonna do? Well, good Absolutely. stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Well, guys, thanks again for uh, being yeah. on the show. No, uh, no and, doubt. Uh, Chris, thank thank you, man, for joining yep. us. Uh, next week, we'll, 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 Chris and I'll be back, uh, maybe with a guest, maybe not a guest. It might just be me and me and Chris talking uh, Rizat stories. Who knows? But uh, but uh, but either event's gonna be a good time. Uh, 
uh, North Carolina, r- r- real quick, Chris, North Carolina's opening back up. We're, we're seeing a lot of concerts. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'll just, we're just talking a little bit ago about Tommy. Tommy and I, are, we have tickets to go see KISS uh, in, in your old Stoneman Grounds West, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, in August. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, but man, you know, maybe next year we we will Chris and I finally get to see our Motley Crue uh, reunion tour uh, here in Charlotte. But who knows? But but I, but I'm really I'm, I'm most excited about North Carolina opening up. Wrestling shows are are opening back up. People are running shows again. Uh, so hopefully we'll we'll get to see me and Wes out there. And Wes, I hope one day. Uh, I know it's been a long time ago. Uh, but you, you and I did uh, get get uh, get to work on a few independent shows together, but it's been a while. I think it was for Henry Dean, uh, I'm thinking, or um, or maybe uh, Lewis Moore. But one of the two, I, I know. Okay. Uh, you never I know. We'll there, so up. hopefully we'll, we'll we'll get to do that again. Uh, and Chris, yep. I know you and I are gonna cause havoc somewhere. We always do. <laughs> so all right. Uh, well, uh, before we go off the air, uh, I'm, uh, we'll we'll end the show. You, you guys hang hang out before you hang up because I, I, I need to show you uh, tell you guys something. But uh, other than that, for Chris Plano and our good guest tonight, Wes Potter, I'm Tony Binge. We'll see you next week on the Binge Buster Show. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform. 